Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Political Party podcast. This one featuring the Deputy Leader of UKIP, Paul Nussle, um, who was on fine form as they always are. You know, one thing you can say about UKIP is they know how to enjoy themselves. Um, politically, we all have our concerns, I think, and I, I worry about their grasp of detail, but uh, he, was a, he was a fine sport and uh, we had a good laugh. So, enjoy the show. Hello, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the show. Uh, been an incredible year already in politics. Ed Miliband, by the way, uh, who I, uh, is always an easy place to start. Sort of unfairly easy that he's still... I can't believe he's still around. It's just too much of a gift. He has got the most remarkable man in him. I watch him too much, is the reality. Um, but he has got a new tactic, I don't know if you noticed this, for dealing with questions. A lot of people say that politicians don't answer questions. Ed Miliband does... Just not the ones he's been asked. <laughs> it's an incredible new technique he's got. You'll see it. Nick Robinson will say something like, uh, Mr. Miliband, you're not being absolutely straight about the rate of the mansion tax. Why are you keeping it under wraps until after the election? And they go, look, Nick, if you're asking me, do I have a long-term plan for the economy? Then the answer's yes. <laughs> it's not the question you're asked, mate. <laughs> Must be murder to live with. Uh, Ed, have you picked up the quinoa? Look, if you're asking me, do I care about the nutrition of our family? Then of course I do. He's <laughs> got this new trick as well. It's not a trick. It's something that really bad politicians do, where if their speech isn't doing well, they'll do what I call a rule of three. When they'll just say something, but it, they change the tenses of it. And he did it in his first speech of the year. He said, we can do it, we must do it, and we will do it. And you find yourself going, fucking yes. I'm not even sure what I'm applauding. It's just rhythm that you're applauding. Now, you can say that about anything. I've never been tall, I'm not, and I never will be. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just love to see him resign. I've never been a decent leader, I'm not, and I never will be. <laughs> the problem is with that, you just think, it's just rhythm that you're applauding. He might as well go, and the Tories haven't got a plan for the economy. <laughs> and it would still get a round of applause. You just go, oh yeah, yeah, sort of rhythm of it. I mean, some of the better speakers might do something. Farage would probably be quite decent at that. Frankly, the Tories are absolutely nowhere. Debbie-debbie-doo. We go, oh, quite, quite profound, yeah, yeah. Blair would probably get away with it. But frankly now, the global challenges have completely changed. Dibby-dibby-doo. <laughs> dip, dip, do. Oh, yeah. So, so basically, it's just what Boris says anyway, isn't it? <laughs> he started at the start of the year, Miliband, but I, you, I don't know if you've noticed his new voice. He's got a new voice for that. So that's how he naturally speaks. Well, he's excited. But he's trying to calm it down. Uh, and he did a New Year message. 
And the start of it really pissed me off. And I hate when politicians do this. He said, this year is the 70th anniversary of the end of the Second World War. And he goes, surely if we could overcome the challenges of that era, we can meet the challenges of this. Basically, the subtext of that is, surely if we could beat the Nazis, we can beat the Tories. <laughs> Nick Clegg put out his... Uh... <laughs> that, was, uh, that was one heck of a laugh of anticipation. Just at the thought of Nick Clegg, people were already laughing at him. Yeah, great one, Nick Clegg. <laughs> put out his New Year message, where he still sort of talks in that sort of way, where he's sort of putting in... Pauses. It's like he's put a full stop after every word in his sentence. It's a really irritating way that he speaks, uh, Clegg. But his New Year message, I don't know if anyone saw it on YouTube, it's him talking to the camera and then words coming up on the screen. So we go, 2015, I think should be a year for, for, for optimism. And optimism flashes up on the screen like that. He goes, oh, so I think it should be a year for, for, for hope. And hope flashes up. You're like, and then Lib Dems is trying to result to subliminal advertising. <laughs> Is that the level it's got to? I don't know if it worked, but afterwards I really fancied a Pepsi. <laughs> but his whole, Clegg's whole thing is, Clegg's whole message down, you watch him on these interviews, his whole thing is, oh, there's no need to get excited about it. He's saying, you know, some people are trying to make this election a, a, a choice between two sides. Yeah? That's what politics is, mate. Some people want to make it about throwing mud. Yeah? At you, <laughs> mostly, please. It's like he's trying to say, look, can we just, this whole politics thing, why, why don't we just try and change it now it's time for an election? He's basically pissed the whole country. If he started a fight, he's like one of those people who starts a fight and then once it looks like it's going to kick off, immediately pussies out. <laughs> he's been stood there going, tuition fees? <laughs> Gotta be fucking joking, mate. <laughs> Bedroom tax? What are you going to do about it? You what? General election? All right, mate, calm down. There's no need to get fucking personal. <laughs> I was only mucking about, wasn't I? Just chill out, mate. I was having it. Can't stand him. Uh, Cameron's New Year message. Cameron, he loves an industrial setting, doesn't he? Like, I've said this a few times. Every time he pops up in one, Cameron never just gives it in front of like a tree or an oak panelled room. He's always like at some sort of welding place or a mechanics or somewhere there's forklifts and pallets. Like, people are not fooled. No one's going to get to the end of this parliament and go, you know what about David Cameron? I must have heard this somewhere. I reckon he could operate heavy machinery. <laughs> Just the sort of impression I've got. I don't know where I got it from. Right? But he stands there and he's fucking welding. I'm sure it's like a welding plant or something. People are like operating big drills and like welders. Like, and he's just stood there, hand in pocket, full suit, no safety goggles. Tie out, didn't give a shit. No welding mask, no hard hat. Just they're going, in 2015, we'll continue to take the tough decisions to turn Britain around, get the deficit down, invest in our schools. He's like, mate, it looked like you'd been green screened in. <laughs> it didn't look like he was really there. It looked like any minute now it was going to come up with like the Eiffel Tower. And I enjoy foreign trips too. <laughs> with stars like Katy Perry. <laughs> you can almost see the stuff going, what the fuck is he doing here? He was not welcome in that place, Cameron. But there was a very bizarre bit in it where he's talking about 2015, getting the deficit down, sorting out our schools, all that sort of usual stuff that he comes out with. And at one point he goes, and of course, one thing that's very important for old people, dignity in old age. I if I can turn into Michael Parkinson. <laughs> and with the new Sun Life plan. <laughs> and if you call the Conservatives, you get a free Parker pen just for inquiring. <laughs> 
Well, Cameron's had his own issues, hasn't he? This year he had a prank call. Uh, I don't know if anyone saw this. Someone uh, rang GCHQ, which uh, in itself was a feat to get through, and then they got Cameron's mobile number and prank called him. Um, now, what's incredible about this is, firstly, GCHQ said, oh, yeah, there's nothing to worry about. No, uh, no confidential information was divulged. Apart from the Prime Minister's mobile number. <laughs> Which ultimately is one of the most private pieces of information in the country. It's not sort of just out there, is it? Um, what I like to think is, the, the prank call, I just wish it was Miliband. I wish it would emerge if Miliband just got hammered one night and thought, if I can't win the election, I'm going to make his life hell. <laughs> yeah, all right, let's do it, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, hi. Uh, 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 I'm looking for a friend of mine called Amanda. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Amanda hug and kiss? Yeah, yeah. He's doing it, he's doing it. Uh, Oh, hi. Uh, 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 hello. Uh, uh, is Mr. Wall there, please? Uh, uh, okay, uh, is Mrs. Wall there, please? Uh, are there any walls in the house? Well, I, I think you better get out, mate, because I think it's going to fall down, yeah. <laughs> yeah, did it? Yeah, yeah. Suddenly not. Apparently, this, I didn't realise this. The Prime Minister on one of his phones, his texts are encrypted. Not just the calls, but the texts are encrypted. Which means that obviously someone has to decrypt them and then present them to the Prime Minister, you know, periodical interludes. Uh, I just love the idea of sort of his, whoever it is who has to do his security stuff, just giving him a rundown of his text in the morning. Okay, Prime Minister, we've decrypted your uh, highly sensitive phone and uh, we've got three messages here for you. One is from uh, Barack Obama, who says, uh, military action in principle, but you will need to get a UN resolution. Uh, secondly, Vladimir Putin is prepared to open up new trade talks with Britain, very important. And thirdly, um, Apparently it's two for two Tuesday down at Domino's. Uh, <laughs> collection only, nine ninety nine. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, we have uh, a very special guest uh, in the second half, someone I'm very excited about interviewing, particularly at this time. Uh, and uh, well, have a drink because you may well need it. Uh, I'll be back in about twenty minutes with a wonderful guest, Paul Nuttall. For now, I've been Matt Ford. Thank you very much. See you in a bit. Thank you very much. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. There we go. Thank you very much. Well, very exciting. Uh, I don't know if anyone was here when we had Nigel Farage down here about two years ago. About three people. <laughs> about three people. It was absolutely fascinating. And one of the things that I've really tried to create here, uh, and that so far our audiences have really gone with, uh, is, a, is a general sense of respect towards whoever the guest is. You're allowed to react, of course, um, to whatever they say, but in general, to hear people, <laughs> to hear people with a certain degree of respect, and that is, I think that's important. We've had Labour people down here, we've had Conservatives, Liberal Democrats, UKIP people, uh, and George Galloway. So you know, uh, <laughs> the, sort of, the sort of whole uh, spectrum of political opinion tonight is no different. There will be an opportunity for people to ask questions as well uh, at the end. Uh, tonight's guest is someone who uh, has increasingly become a, a visible part of British politics. Was on Question Time last week. Uh, and I think it's fair to say he's uh, really growing uh, as a politician and he's now being taken far more seriously and he's a, he's really is a, a fascinating prospect for the next few years. He's got a fantastic sense of view. That sounds so Alan Partridge. He's got a lovely sense of view. <laughs> um, please welcome, from UKIP, Mr Paul Nuttall. <laughs> he's going to shake your hand, but it's full of beer. There you go. Mm. Cheers, mate. <laughs> is that sort of... Part of the UKIP brand. Uh, the, uh, that should be the UKIP logo, just a pint. If Farage can do it, so can I. 
There we go. Uh, well, welcome to the show, Paul. Um, Thank you. Now, I know a fair bit about you anyway, but in researching you, um, a variety of quite bizarre facts um, are around on the internet about you. One, and I'm not sure if this is true, is it true that you play Bungle in Rainbow? Uh, well, Jeffrey over there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, well, that all started because my Wikipedia page kept on uh, being changed and uh, it kept on going up that I was the original Bungle in Rainbow. We'd take it down, it would go up the following day. We'd take it down and it went on and on and on. Uh, and I did an interview with the Liverpool Echo and the last question was, where you Bungle? Uh, um, Unfortunately for them, I was born in 1976, Rainbow started in 1972, so I couldn't be the original Bungle. However, what the papers didn't print was what was also put on the internet, on Wikipedia, about me, and we took it down, it kept on going back up. Uh, and I hope no one's offended by bad language here, but uh, my hobbies included public wanking. <laughs> and, and I had a keen interest in muff diving. <laughs> But, but what was the false stuff? What was the false stuff? <laughs> and we'd take it down and it'd go back up and, you know, it was all rather embarrassing, to say the least. So, no, I wasn't Bungle, unfortunately, but, uh, but you know, my staff for Christmas all bought me a nice Bungle mask, which I wore at the Christmas party. Uh, and a public wanking kit, which included... Yes, yes. A, a yes. backseat of a car and a video camera. Well, yes, of course. That I was imagine. all before I was a politician. So do you know who's been doing that, then? Um, I have my suspicions, and uh, it, it is two people who I lived with at university, who... <laughs> who've gone on to have quite successful careers, and indeed one of them is a headmaster of a school. So, Godfrey Bloom and... <laughs> Oh, my God. I mean, do you, do you take that sort of stuff quite lightly, or does it make well, you paranoid? Well, well I, if it is them, I mean, I think they thought it was just a joke and didn't realise that it ends up in virtually every national newspaper in the country. <laughs> uh, and I, I'm guessing that they're now horrified. I'm not. I think it's all fun. And, you know, politicians should be self-deprecating and prepared to have a laugh at themselves. And uh, I don't have a problem with it at all. So uh, the one thing I really w wanted to get out of you, really, UKIP just looks like it's so much fun to be a part of at the moment. Like, obviously, politics is serious, and, and, and it, um, it deserves to be taken seriously, but of all the parties that are enjoying themselves, I mean, Miniband looks absolutely shattered and, um, and just emotionally drained. Cameron looks fine. I'm not sure you've bothered either way. Cle <laughs> Clegg looks like he's on the verge of being sentenced to 40 lashes in a public square. UKIP just looks like one big stag do. <laughs> well, do you know, we do have a lot of fun. We, we, we work hard, uh, we play hard. Um, we don't have as much fun, actually, as we used to have. I mean, in the old days. <laughs> I mean, Back when Britain was great, eh, Paul? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in, in the old days when we were on you know, one, two, three percent, particularly before 2009. That was just the strength of the lagers. I, I mean, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no one gave a monkeys what we did. I mean, we, we, you know, we used to have a right old riot, but, uh, you know, things, are, things have got a bit seriously now. But, you know, I, I, think, I think people should play hard, but as long as you work hard as well. So we have great fun in UKIP. The gang are all over there uh, from our uh, head office, and they're all out having a good booze. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. As long as they're all in for nine o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> AM. Do you, do you think that at some point you might have to get away from that sort of quite laddie 
reputation and try and be a little bit more serious and professional? Well, I think we already are, but equally, you know, I think people are generally fed up of politicians who don't look like them, act like them, sound like them, never give straight answers to straight questions. You know, I, I call it like the Stepford White politician you know, of the Tony Blair era, you know, with the shiny suit and the disingenuous smile and, hey, look, I'm Tony. You know, and I'll, hey, I'm We're getting Tony. on so well. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, the sort of, oh, I'll take my jacket off and throw it over my shoulder and say, yeah. hey, I'm just like you. It's just all nonsense. And I think people look, I think, you know, I think people look at you, Kip, and say, do you know, the normal people, and I think, that, I think politics is about empathy. They are That's normal, the straight up, alcoholics, just like the rest of us. <laughs> I mean, the, the whole beer thing, <laughs> is, that, is that a sort of conscious decision? Because some people say, oh, well, Farage just does it on purpose. He deliberately has a pint in his hand. You know, I've heard stories where he's been at awards dues and he's been sat there all night just on water and then when he's got to go up on stage, he'll get a glass of red wine or a pint. No, that isn't true. Is that, that is... But surely he'd be battered all the time if he... Honest to God, that is not true. I mean, I've, I've known Nigel for, God, what, nine years now um, and worked very, I was going to say intimately, but that probably wouldn't sound... That's on your Wikipedia page. <laughs> yeah. And um, no, Nigel, you know, Nigel enjoys a pint, like most men. I mean, that's absolutely fine. I have no problem with that uh, at all. None of it's fake. It's all real, you know, he's a heavy smoker, uh, he likes a drink, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's all perfectly legal and free. Do you not well, think, is there, is there not something that is just, maybe it's because we live in quite a cynical country, partly as a result of the media, partly as our own cynicism, partly perhaps as a reaction towards the way that some politicians behave, but when any politician has a thing, like, you know, Boris being quite bungling but ultimately charming with it, depending on mm -hmm. the point of view, and Nigel having his beer and fags, people just think, oh, he's been very clever there, that's just, that's part of a construct. Yeah, I, I mean, I can sort of see why some people might think uh, that it's, it's not real, but it is. I mean, that is, that is the man. Um, you know, he's, he's been a friend of mine of, for many years. Um, and he does spend a fair bit of time in pubs. Um, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with that because, I mean, the guy works harder, I think, than any other British politician. He spends his life on the road, going around the country, speaking... Pub to pub to pub. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's hard, it's, you know, all these pubs. Uh, but no, you know, he spends his life on the road, um, going up and down the country, speaking at public meetings, appearing on the media left, right and centre. Uh, and, you know, it's been difficult over the years, I'm not going to deny, especially in the last parliament, because, I mean, there was really only Nigel and myself who, who did the vast bulk of the, the work. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> and that as well. Um, but now it's, it, it's a lot easier now because we've got some fantastic spokespeople who we can put on the box, who can go on radio and um, we can shed the workload, shall we say. I mean, we've got 20, uh, I was going to say 24 MEPs, but it's actually 23 now uh, <laughs> after the weekend. Yeah, we'll um, <laughs> which I'm sure we'll talk about later. <laughs> uh, um, you, you know, so we've shed the workload a little bit and, you know, we're pretty happy with the team. In general, then, being part of UKIP going into this election, how hopeful are you for getting the increased parliamentary representation? Because the two you've got were, were defections. Yeah. It's, still a, it's still a huge political feat to, to, to get Reckless and, and Carswell re-elected as UKIP MPs. What is the official sort of UKIP projection for the next election, do you think? What, are you, what is a realistic target for, for how many seats you'll have? 
But I could give a politician's answer and say, I'm not going to try and predict what the British public will do yeah. uh, come election day. Uh, but, you know, I, I would be very disappointed uh, if we didn't get over, say, six seats. I, I, and, you know, I think on a good day, uh, we could be moving into double figures. Uh, but again, who knows what will happen between now and then. If you look on the opinion polls, I mean, there was an observation opinion poll only out uh, yesterday, I believe it was, which has got us on 23%. So almost one in four people in Britain are intending to go out and vote UKIP. If we get anything like that, then, you know, we're going to get big numbers. So, again, not 100% sure. Uh, obviously, you're looking forward to that. Um, <laughs> um, we're pretty buoyant. We're pretty buoyant. But what we won't do is do what we did in the 2010 general election, where basically we had a sort of scattergun approach, whereby we spent our money thinly, uh, we, we used our resources thinly in terms of people as well, uh, we will target, 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 and basically we'll take a leaf out of the Liberal Democrats uh, book when it comes to that, but on very little else. And tell a lot of fibs. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. With respect. <laughs> well, 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 actually, you know our old Dave, son, because it's the only party Amjad never tried to join. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> let's, let's talk for, for, the, for the uninitiated. Amjad Bashir is the uh, former, former uh, UKIP, now Conservative yeah. uh, MEP. He was uh, apparently a member of the Respect Party at one point as well. Um, now, the allegations are... It's a very odd political journey, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he, so, so what's happened is he's joined the Conservatives. David Cameron and Grant Shapps made a real point of trumpeting this thing and said it's a huge defection from UKIP to the Tories, which is obviously what they needed after Carswell and Reckless. However, it looks as if, though, UKIP either were going to expel him or certainly claimed that mm -hmm. they were going to expel him very close to the time that he chose to defect. So what exactly happened with him at UKIP? Well, firstly, I missed all of the shenanigans on Saturday because while it was all going off uh, at six o'clock, uh, I was sitting in the main stand at Anfield uh, <laughs> where you can't, because Liverpool kicked off at half five. Um, I, I missed it all because you can't get a signal at the match. Uh, so when I get out... I thought you were going to say because someone had nicked your phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 oh. It, it, isn't that what the Guardian readers call regionalism? I wouldn't know, I read the Telegraph. <laughs> oh, okay. um, no, so I, 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 I missed all the shenanigans. All I know, and I haven't been privy to any internal party investigation because uh, oh, that's on. taken place. No, let me just say this. What, what I will say, what I will say when, when it comes to, to Amjad, I've been aware, and a number of us have been aware, over the past three or four months that... He's been drifting away from us politically. Um, in the Parliament... Which way? <laughs> the George Galloway way. <laughs> um, you know, we, we... There was a vote in the European Parliament a couple of months ago whereby um, the European Union wanted to recognise Palestine as a state. And we all voted against it. And I'll tell you why. Not because we don't want to recognise Palestine as a state, but we have it in writing that the European Union itself uh, cannot recognise any new state. But they then went, went ahead and did it, and Amjad voted against uh, the party whip. We also know that he felt very uncomfortable about the things we've said about Turkey uh, joining the European Union. Obviously, we're opposed to it uh, for a number of reasons, and I'm not going to go into uh, the political spiel. Uh, but equally, equally about the growing Islamification of Turkey, and we've spoken about that too. And also, I think 
he felt a bit uncomfortable with uh, some of uh, with, with Nigel Farage's statement after the Charlie Hebdo killings mm. uh, when he spoke about a fifth column uh, within the Muslim community in Britain uh, of people who actually hate Western democracy and hate our hate us. And you know, I, I completely stand by what Nigel said, but equally, I think Amjad felt a bit uncomfortable with it, and we knew then that he was drifting away from us and actually we caught him having uh, lunch uh, with a Conservative MEP <laughs> on a couple of occasions. Um, Which one? So, so, well, Dan Hannan. I'm going to be pretty open about it. Um, so we suspected that something was going to happen. So with Dan Hannan, he's someone who's often rumoured to be defecting to UKIP. Have you ever had chats with him? Well, I know Dan. I was at Dan's 40th birthday party. I was having lunch with him just the other week. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on a minute. But, uh, you, know, you know, Dan... For, for me, I mean, Dan seems to be a bit of a useful idiot for the Conservative Party. Um, no, 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 he's academically very bright, but when it comes to political acumen, you know, I think he's got this, about as much political acumen as, as Noddy. Um, that was on his Wikipedia page. I'm sure it was, yeah. He was Noddy and I was Bungle. Um, you know, he is the Conservative's useful idiot, and I think he is a barrier against... Um, real Euro scepticism, and, and he hasn't helped. And actually, if Dan had anything about him, he would join UKIP because, in terms of politics and his views in the European Union, he's more UKIP than he is Conservative. In terms of Amjad, then, because some of the, the statements coming out of UKIP have been quite severe. Uh, one of them is that he has unanswered financial and employment questions, uh, and one is that he, 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 he interfered with candidate selection processes. Do you know? I'm not privy, I'll be dead honest with you. I mean, I, and I, if I was, Paul. I'd tell you all, no, seriously. We're all friends here. Yeah, <laughs> no, seriously. No, seriously, I haven't, I, I haven't been privy to any uh, internal party investigation, but I will be privy in a couple of weeks when I turn up to the National Executive Committee and see you. Okay, but on the grapevine, what have you heard? <laughs> <laughs> Look. <laughs> Frank. No, seriously, ser <laughs> ser seriously, honest to God, I wasn't surprised that it happened. I wasn't. I could just see uh, from his body language and everything else. <laughs> body language? No, seriously. He walks like a crook, that bloke. <laughs> Always had a swag bag and a little mascot. <laughs> he walks like a conservative. Um, <laughs> so, I wasn't surprised that it happened. And, you know, it is what it is. So over the Charlie Hebdo thing, I mean, there are no, I mean, you're obviously aware that you're a member of a controversial party. A lot of people um, still see UKIP as BNP like, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a oh, but there's a reputational yeah. issue, isn't there? I mean, with UKIP? I mean, do you know, in the old days, it used to be bizarre. Uh, you know, you would knock on people's doors. Where I mean, Robert, one who works for me, sitting over there. I mean, he, he walked around the streets of Bootle, standing in when I was standing in local elections in 2005, 2006, and seven. And you would knock on people's doors and you'd go, you know, um, hello, I'm from UKIP. And they'd go, you who? You who? UKIP? Are you a bit like the BNP? You know, and, and it would be so disheartening. Um, but I think we've broken... Especially as a skinhead. Well, well... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's your second ism of the evening. We've had regionalism, now we've got baldism. Um, you know... It was so disheartening. It was, it was really difficult to take. But I think with the growth of UKIP now, I think we've got over that idea that somehow we're like the BMP light. I mean, people don't, people don't view us like that. And there's no way we'd be on 20% 
in the opinion polls if people thought we were anything like the BNP because fascism has no root in British politics and it doesn't. But do you, are, are you concerned sometimes when you hear about the sort of things that some, and I know that all parties have, have their weirdos and their nutters and I think what's, I think, if anything, I, and I talk to someone who used to work for the Labour, I talk to someone who used to work for the Labour Party, I always thought it was a little unfair the disproportionate amount of coverage that UKIP's weirdos got. Just because I worked in the Labour Party for years and some of the most bizarre people, like, and prejudiced people, I have to say, and all parties have them. This oh, is yeah. about politics that does attract odd, weird, uh, and obviously <laughs> <laughs> people like us, Paul, you know. Uh, but nevertheless, there must be some people you come across sometimes in UKIP circles who think, we really can't have this in the party. Yeah, I mean, some guys... One of them's here, by the sounds of it. <laughs> so, I, I, I mean, you know, politics attracts conspiracy theorists and weirdos, like, uh, like I suppose, flies to dog Ted. Um, and it does. I mean, I'll give you an example. The other night, someone came up to me and said, well, of course, you know, there are two doors in 10 Downing Street. And I said, yeah. And he said, there's the front door, which Cameron comes out of, and there's the back door, where he takes his orders from. And do you know who's behind that back door? The Rothschilds. And I just thought, you complete not. You said, Nigel, you've had enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's the Rothschilds. You know, but, but, I'm telling you, Paul. But, it, but, but, but you know, it, 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 <laughs> but, but, in, but, it, but interestingly... <laughs> but interestingly, you know, I'll give you an example. The chap is a David Sylvester, who's the uh, guy. Yes, gay marriage. You know, you know, no, 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 gay floods man. Yeah, yeah, but uh, he said the floods was God's curse for yeah, gay marriage. Yeah, 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 of course, yeah, yeah. But he'd been saying that for years as a Conservative town. He was a parish councillor. So why'd you let him in? Well, I don't. You have to ask the local branch. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but anyway, he, jo he joined UKIP. And then literally within a couple of weeks of him joining UKIP, it's in every single national newspaper in the country. And unfortunately, what happens, what's happening is that the Conservatives and Labour have got teams specifically uh, with the job of digging up stuff on UKIP. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're trawling over social media. And I'm not just talking about MEPs, uh, MPs or, M or parliamentary candidates. I'm talking about local council candidates, parish and town council uh, candidates and is all that the rest of it. Is that a bad thing, though? I mean, if you're going well, to hold you know, public office, you shouldn't scrutinise. You know, yeah, the scrutiny, isn't there? And then there's, there's, there's something which looks... It begins to look like a witch hunt, and that's why, in the end, I think, um, the British public turns against that, and we actually went up in the poll. Every time there's a UKIP gaff, UKIP go up in the polls. And I, I, is that why you do it? On, <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> These people are primed, yeah. and we activate them. But you must have an attack unit on the Tories. You must be digging up something. That's just, and that's not necessarily. Do you know what? Do, 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 do you know what we don't? And this oh, is, Paul. Do you know, do you, actually, actually, I wouldn't mind if we did. So, guys, get your asses in gear. I think this is what we. No, seriously. Do you know we haven't? And one of the reasons why we haven't is because I'm not, I, I don't want to get into negative. Politics as such, I don't. You know, I want us to have a positive message, and I don't want to see story after story in newspaper after newspaper, basically ruining some some conservative councillor or doing down some Labour candidate. I mean, but you know, last year, for example, I think the story. I mean, we were on Radio Five Live, weren't we? Uh, oh, yeah. Just before 
Christmas, which was meant to be light-hearted, and then Ken Clark was on, and suddenly it definitely wasn't light-hearted. Um, and the story of the year last year had to be, and the funniest one I read, was the Labour councillor who said that he'd fathered a child by a green alien who was six foot eight, and it's a Labour councillor in Grimsby. Absolute genius. But it didn't make all the news. Imagine if a UKIP councillor had come out and said something like that, or had made those claims. It'd be the front page of the Daily Mail, wouldn't it? You know, yeah, by your rationale, he'd be deputy leader by next year. <laughs> <laughs> is, there not, is there not an inherent irony, though? And this is something I struggle with UKIP. Much as I um, enjoy having UKIP around for the sort of sense of fun that you brought to politics, and I think there's something to be said for that. When you talk about wanting to have positive campaigning, how easy is that when inherently it feels like your message is so negative, particularly towards Europe and immigrants? Yeah. Well, it's not, it, it's not negative, is it, towards uh, immigration, really? It's not. Listen... You know, there is nothing racist or negative about saying that you want a points-based system like Australia. No one would ever call the country of Australia or Canada racist country. Australia, baby! <laughs> Australia! Australia, baby! You know, you know... It, it, it. No one would ever call Australia sexist or racist. <laughs> Well, look, you know, and actually, if you look at our immigration policy, it's not racist at all because we want we want a level playing field for everyone. No, but and it doesn't matter. Hold on, it doesn't matter whether you're from India, Pakistan, South Africa, the States, Poland, Lithuania, Latvia. Everyone should go through the same system, and that should be a points-based system, and it's fair and free for everyone. And and it doesn't matter whether you're a Hindu, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Christian. It should be the same for everyone. But I mean, I understand that, it, and I don't believe it to be racist. Um, but it just feels—it's more in terms of how do you deal with it tactically and strategically. I guess I'm asking is how do you package something that actually does inherently feel quite negative because you're saying no to something? How do you wrap that in a positive? How do you sell that in a positive way? Well, you sell it. What the, the, what, what the positives of that system could bring uh, to Britain, and especially to young people in Britain, it would give them far more. Uh, opportunities and actually you know the, the free movement of people that we have in Europe at the moment isn't just bad for Britain it's bad I, I mean this is where Stuart Lee absolutely ripped the backside out of me for about half an hour when I was speaking about Bulgaria but actually what I was saying made perfect sense it's bad for them and it's bad for us because what's happening in Bulgaria by the way where the average wage is 350 euro a month and the minimum wage is 158 euro a month What's happening is that their youngest, brightest and best who should be changing their country and driving their country forward are coming to this country. They've got degrees they should be going on to be doctors, teachers, accountants and all the rest of it. And they come here because they think the streets of London are paved with gold and you can walk down any street in London and you'll see them working in cafes or bars or pubs and all the rest of it. It's bad for Bulgaria, it's bad for but, us. But purely from a selfish point of view... Isn't it good for us to have educated, great people who want to come here and work? We've got a million of our own kids unemployed. You, well, you've had an issue with unemployment in this country. Even when you had the boom years, there were a million people unemployed and there were a million jobs vacant in the economy. So there are different issues affecting people, not just immigration. Isn't there an argument to say, actually, we live in a globalised world, it's good for British kids to compete against the brightest and the best in the world? I thought this was light-hearted. <laughs> well, it will be. It was for me. It's got to have some politics. No, but I'm interested. What, no, no, no. But I'm not. I'm not. I don't believe you could be racist. I'm just. I'm purely interested in, in the sort of the political ideology and 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 almost the political well, communication. Look, if you think it's sensible, or anyone thinks it's sensible, to allow net a city the size of Newcastle upon Tyne to come into the country every single year, then I'm sorry. You must be completely off your rocker.
Why? <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a fair enough question, Paul. <laughs> Why? <laughs> he didn't say well, when. Well, well, <laughs> well, firstly, it stops Nigel Farage getting to meetings on times because the roads are clogged up. <laughs> but you know, of course, it does. Uh, you know, it will put strains on our our health. It puts strains on the health service. It puts strains on schools in terms of numbers. It puts strains on our transport network. I mean, there's nothing wrong. All we want to do is manage immigration. Not wrong with that. No, I, but we have a point space system at the moment of some sort. Yeah, of course, and for people outside the European Union. So in effect, it's discriminatory. It's wrong. But what then of the yeah. recent economic? Uh, proof that immigrants are net contributors to the UK. So when you talk about pressure on services, actually they're net contributors to the, to the Exchequer. Yeah, but don't forget, for everyone that comes in, uh, you're basically ensuring that someone else can't get a job. And you're putting people out of work. And, I tell and they're what, creating I, jobs well, by actually, contributing to the state. Actually, if, if, if you measured that off against the welfare bill of this country, I'm sure what you would find is that um, there isn't that net benefit at all. I think you'll find it will either be slightly negative or equally it will basically level itself out. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, we have. They have. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, we did. Yeah, done a week sheet for about half ten on Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> I googled it. I mean, it was 1994's figures, but who gives a shit? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I, I have to admit, I'm a fan of UKIP. In, in the, I think the sort of... Well, not to vote for, but just in terms of this... Well, hold on a second. Um, <laughs> hold on a second. I even sound like Farage sometimes. Um. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just in terms of, I, I, think, I think what you've done in terms of the style of British politics and in terms of what you say about politicians' answers and things like that, I think you've shaken up the political class and I see that as a positive thing. Your politics aren't mine, I'm, I'm definitely to the left of you, Kip. I mean, I think, just, I think, just, I think just think how boring it would all be without us. I'll give you an example. I ran the Haywood and Middleton by-election uh, campaign uh, where we just failed mm. to take a safe Labour seat by 600 uh, votes and, and actually, we, I'll be perfectly honest with you, we should have taken that seat yeah. and it was our own cock-ups yeah. that stopped us <laughs> from, from doing it, you know, and, I, and I'll be perfectly honest with you, and it was our own naivety uh, why John Bickley isn't an MP so now. So what were the cock-ups? Well, 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 actually, 
Well, um, we we failed to you. We, we failed. We failed to use. We failed to utilise our own people. Uh, the amount of people that we had out on the last day properly. They should have gone out and knocked on doors. Instead, we had them all sitting there on Poland stations twiddling the thumbs. I mean, it was nonsense. <laughs> Hold on, I'm not drunk. <laughs> no, not you. I meant them. <laughs> okay. Um... Roll down weather spoons instead. <laughs> uh, no, no. Well, actually, yeah, there, there was a weather spoon from the office, uh, which we did spend quite a fair bit of time in. Um, but no, we didn't utilise our troops properly. But equally, you know what the Labour Party did in that by-election was utterly disgraceful. Uh, the fact is, is that they called a by-election um, because the MP had died. And he died in Poland. And protocol has it that you don't call a by-election until the funeral has taken place. They call a by-election while the guy's body was still in Poland. What's wrong with that? I'll tell you what. And do you know why they did And do you know why they did it? Do you know why they did it? Because... They wanted the by-election to be on the same day as Clacton because they thought if they divided our resources, we wouldn't win it. Yeah, and they actually, were right. They were. They were. They were. But what a disgraceful thing to do. Oh, I don't to know. To break protocol in that fashion. Oh, I'm not. I don't know. Pretty don't, poor. Well, I just think it's. I just think any party would do that. Any party in the position to call a by-election would think when. When does it best suit us to? They're not going to go. Well, I mean, if we give the UKIP guys another week, then it'll be fair. <laughs> And the guy's body's still in Poland. I think that's a bit naff. Well, I don't know. Well, I'm not a spokesperson for the Labour Party because I like life. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't. It just strikes me as the sort of the, the, a standard thing that most parties would do. But I just wonder, uh, uh, fascinated by what attracted to you, you to UKIP in the first place, because you joined 11 years ago in 2004. The party had a slightly different reputation than to what it does now. Like, what was it that attracted you to? But you know, I was living. In, I was living in. Um, <laughs> Spain. I was living in Barcelona. Um, and, uh, thought, oh, ah, and I hated it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was in the Rosen Crown. I got <laughs> Right, okay, now I was living in I was living in Spain and uh, I was following the European elections. Uh, over, over here in 2004, and I was sitting there with, with, with a nice me Mexican cigar and a nice glass of red wine on the Ramblas, taking it all in. And you know, I, I, I quite like the, I quite like the look of this of this party, which was I thought was about to shake up British politics at the time. Um, unfortunately, the guy who was sort of the head of the party or the media head of the party cool. uh, was, was unfortunately that permatant. <laughs> Permatan knobhead, <laughs> <laughs> you know, who, uh, who who I spent most of my life, uh, or university life, watching every morning from bed. Um, he um, on so, the so, TV. Obviously, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a lovely little view of him. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so no, I, I like the look. Of, I like the look of this party, but equally, at the same time, whilst living out there. You really saw the fallout of Spain adopting the euro and doing away with the peseta. And what happened is that wages uh, were rounded down uh, uh, and, and prices were rounded up. And it was, it was awful for them. You spoke to any working people out there, they all wanted to go back In Spanish uh, onto, the uh, onto the peseta. <laughs> uh, uh, well, unfortunately, do you know, I tried to learn Spanish, but everyone else wanted to learn English. And I don't exactly look Spanish. No, but you uh, can still make the effort to learn the I language. did. I did. So how long were you in Spain for? Barcelona, I was in Spain it? for a couple of years. Yeah, I loved it. Um, loved the place. Still got good friends out there. But I came back 
and I joined something called the Derby Park Conservation Society, which was basically when I got back, the, the, the local park was falling into dereliction. I thought, well, do you know what? I'm going to do something about it. And one of the guys who was on the uh, who, who was on the Conservation Society was a member of UKIP, and he said, well, why don't you come along to one of our meetings? And the very first UKIP meeting I went along to, uh, I was just I, I was lecturing at Liverpool uh, Hope at the time, uh, um, and I I turned in, I turned up to this meeting. And I'm not being funny, I was the only person in the room under 80. Wow. I mean, I thought, my word, what have, what have I joined here? I mean, this is me. So I, I then started my own branch uh, in December 2004. I became quite active, uh, really got the bug for politics. And within four years uh, from joining, from September 2004 and September 2008, uh, I was made uh, the chairman of UKIP nationally, pretty much. Um, to conduct a witch hunt within the party because the party, no seriously, the party had been um, infiltrated by the BNP and right up to the very top, right up to the National Executive Committee and my first committee meeting as chairman, well, I, well, I'll tell you this story, what, what happened is that I, I walked into the hotel and this big tall blonde chap comes towards me and says, Mr Nuttall, I'm coming into your meeting today and I said, excuse me, sir, I've absolutely no idea who you are. And he was sort of talking as if I should know who he is. Well, it turns out to be someone called Buster Mottram. Anyone remember Buster Mottram, yeah. the tennis player from the 1970s? So what happens is I then go into what I thought was the room where the NEC National Executive Committee meeting was taking place, put out all of the agendas, and then we're sitting there, and it's 1 o'clock, it's 10 past 1, it's quarter past 1, meant to start at one o'clock and I'm sitting there on my own going, I'd only gone and got the wrong bloody room, hadn't I? Everyone else was upstairs. So by the time I get into the room, Buster Mottram is sitting there and the next minute he stands up and says, I have a letter. You know, like Neville Chamberlain when he got off the plane from Munich. I have a letter from Nick Griffin himself. And what the, the, the proposition was is that UKIP would stand down in the north of England for the BNP and the BNP would stand down in the south of England for UKIP in the 2009 European elections. Basically, we told them to get lost there and then. Uh, a number of uh, NEC members were thrown off the committee. And yeah, it was a bit of a, it was a, bit of a witch hunt. Um, and we sorted the party out uh, and we got it ready for the 2009 European elections and we went on and we finished second in those elections beating the Labour government of the day. So was that effectively a, a, an attempt at entryism? Yeah. It was like a party Complete. within the party. And they, and they were trying to take over the controls of the party and force it to the right. Yes. So in terms of when you're conducting that witch hunt then, how do you rule on who's guilty and who isn't? You just had to flush them out. Uh, and, you know, we used an, a number of different uh, methods. Waterboarding? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Are you in the BNP? <laughs> um, Not anymore. <laughs> No, 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 no. We had to catch people out, and then once, what, 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 once, once they started to fall from the top, and they realised it wasn't going to work, these people then quickly left the party, and um, we now are the only British political party. As a result of that, we're the only party in this country that has a blanket ban on anyone who's ever been a member of the BNP ever being a member of the UK. Well, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. Well, hang on. You know, the Labour Party have a councillor in Blackburn who used to be the regional organiser of the BNP. 
you know. Oh, the guy's got skills. Um, <laughs> he was a BNP councillor and crossed the floor to Labour. They accepted him with open arms. We'd never do that. I just wonder then, so in the mood of that meeting, because at the time UKIP was different to what it is now. It was it The party was, was a mess. It, it, it didn't it have a, a clear identity. What was the mood in the room there? Were there some people that were sort of vaguely sympathetic to that? Yeah. Yeah. And were they the sort of people that you're looking to flush out as well? And, uh, and they all went. Um, but the party was a mess when I took over uh, the chairmanship. It was... It had, I think, about 13,000 members fallen year on year. The average age of the membership was 72, uh, which shocked me when I, when I took over. As I say, we'd been infiltrated. We were on, uh, when I did take over, there were, there, I think there were two opinion polls on the bounce um, that summer where we actually hadn't even appeared because we were below 1%. And all of the Conservative MEPs in Brussels, when we go out for a drink with them, all used to laugh uh, and say, oh, well, the party's over, you may as well go out and enjoy yourselves now because you'll be gone this time next year. And what we did is we really got the party in order, at Nigel and myself, and we got it ready for those 2009 European elections. So where, where do your ambitions lie now then? I mean, you, you're, you're deputy leader. Surely at some point you're going to mount a leadership challenge. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> no. no point? I, well, put it this way, I would never... Um, look, I go, look, I go back years with Nigel, and, and you know, we, we've been... Tony and Gordon did. Well, well, I, I, I think, I, yeah, yeah I, I think my relationship with Nigel is a bit better than theirs. Um, and you know, I, I would never uh, challenge Nigel uh, in a million years because I think he's the best communicator in British politics, uh, and he's a good guy as well. And you know, so put that out the window. But equally, you know, I've made it perfectly clear uh, that I wouldn't be anyone else's deputy. Okay, so if Nigel was to stand down at any point, you must have ambitions for leadership. Well, I'll have a think about it. You know. Um, I remember in 2010 when Nigel stood down, uh, basically the whole of the National Executive Committee and all of the MEPs uh, asked me to stand in the leadership election and I just felt I was too young, I was only 33 at the time. Uh, and then in 2011, when, 2010 it was, when Lord Pearson stood down, I get, I get a phone call from, from Nigel and he says, uh, he says, okay then, uh, are you going to do it? I said, you can piss off and he said oh well it have to be me then won't it thank you you know put the phone down and then I was basically happy I was the chairman at the time got to go back onto the back benches and then I get a uh, and then I get a phone call a couple of weeks later when it becomes pretty clear that he's going to win the leadership election and uh, we're talking away and I said well Nigel of course you're going to have to uh, choose a deputy uh, you know who have you got in mind uh, I'm standing down as chairman I'm going onto the back benches he went no you're not he said, it's you, you wanker. <laughs> so, what a lovely way to be appointed. <laughs> you know, so, uh, so, and then he said, don't worry, there won't be that much work in it. It's just a ceremonial position. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> it's taken over my bloody life for the past five years. So, um, Do you ever disagree on policy? Yes. What, um, so what have been the key disagreements? I mean, Nigel and I probably represent the two different wings of UK. So which wing is which? Well, you know, Nigel's far more libertarian. Uh, than I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, you know what? You know, N Nigel's talked in the past about the legalisation of drugs. I wouldn't go down that that road personally. You know, uh, I, there are a number of issues where we disagree, but equally, you know, that doesn't really matter. Um, we work very well together, and we're friends. So you know, we do disagree on on policies. I'm not gonna... Well, that's normal. That's that's part of a yeah, healthy political discussion in any party. Isn't Absolutely. Necessarily to be sort of embarrassed about. I just, from a UK point of view, then obviously you're known for Europe and immigration. 
Yeah. What's your offer in other areas? Because it does feel as if though things are slightly hazy on education, certainly on the NHS, some of the things that... Well, running you, it as an insurance-based system, which Nigel said in the past, but it's like the party's tried to row back from. No, do you know what, right? Any party, any healthy party, has debate. And in 2000... I mean, I've made comments on the NHS as well, and Nigel has, uh, which, which the Labour Party love to repeat. In fact, I think they put five million leaflets out with, with our statements uh, on the other week. Um, we had a debate in 2012. The National Executive Committee signed off policy. We have a policy unit... And they came to the decision that actually Labour's privatisation of the NHS hasn't worked in terms of PFI, which has saddled us with debts of £300 billion. Um, and we will keep the NHS free at the point of delivery and publicly funded. Through clear. taxation? Absolutely. It's not a pro I mean, we made that perfectly clear at our conference in Doncaster, and we have to keep saying it over and over again. It will remain in public hands, and it will free be free at the point of delivery. just feels odd, though, for... Um a right-wing party, centre-right, nevertheless, but, you know, on yeah. the right, to be so passionate, if ideologically you're a small state, why would you want to fully support something so huge as the NHS on, on public books? Because we've seen what's happened with the attempt, with PFI and all the rest. But ideologically, you'd work. be more look, in favour of privatisation. Listen, I, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I think at some point in this century, I said on Question Time last week, at some point in this century... We may well have to seriously. We may we we may well have to have a conversation about how we fund healthcare in this country with an aging population, a growing population, drugs becoming more expensive. That time isn't now, not yet. But that's just convenient for the next election, isn't it? I mean, isn't it? Listen, do you know what? Not only, and actually, this is one for you guys over there. Not only will we keep the NHS free at the point of delivery, but we were committed to put more money into the NHS than any other, other political parties. Three billion pounds. <laughs> really reluctant round of applause for you. Yeah, great. More public funding. So then where does the money come for that then? We wouldn't be giving 55 million pounds a day to the European Union like we do at the moment. Oh. But isn't there? But well, there's hang the... on, that's what we do give. We get half of it back and then they tell us how we can spend our own money. Yeah, but what the... kind of nutcase country does that? Because being part of a free trade area is massive for British business, which then no. contributes to our exchequer. Trades with the... We can always... We, hold on, we can go on and sign free trade deals, but at the moment we can't because the European Union signs trade deals on our... Behalf. Free trade. But we're part of that decision-making process. Hold on, free trade. We don't even have a, our own seat on the World Trade Organization as a result of being in that organization. And you know, the fact the fact is, trade with Europe is going down year on year. But it's and if you hold on, if you take hold on, if you take into account the Rotterdam effect, it's about forty-four percent of our trade, which means that sixty-six percent is with the rest of the world. And equally, you know, fifty-six percent. Fifty-six percent. Oh my oh, God! There we go. <laughs> I, I'm never going to be Chancellor. <laughs> Got Ron Atkinson um, disease. It's 110 yeah. percent he's given it. Yeah, but no, no, no but but, equal, but equally, you know, beyond that, um, you know, the, the, we can sign trade deals with India, with China. The future is the emerging economies of the East. It isn't the slowest growing economic bloc on the planet. Well, isn't it an expansion of the European trade principle, which is a large free trade area? It's about it's about building on that, not reducing that. But why can't we sign our own trade deal with the sixth largest economy in the world? 
Why can't we sign our own? And look, there's another organisation out there called the Commonwealth which covers a quarter of the globe, a quarter of the world's peoples. It accounts for about 20% of global trade now. And we should be dealing with these people as well, but we don't We do. No, we, not, not, not the way we can. You know, we should be signing our own trade deals with countries like India and Australia and New Zealand and Canada and all the rest of it. We don't because we can't because the European Union does these things on our behalf. I think part of the problem with the sort of £55 million figure is, and I understand that there's a lot of waste at the heart of Europe, but actually what you get as a result That's of that, that account, so is, is, is economic growth in countries that Britain can then trade with within Europe. Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, well, Greece had specific issues long before it joined the euro, and I'm playing. Well, Greece should never have been in the euro. Well, I completely agree. Um, but or, Spain, or Spain or well, Portugal. Totally agree. As well. well, they broke all the rules on inflation and interest rates, so they should never have been allowed in. Absolutely right. But in terms of what you get as a result of that 55 million quid, is that what it does help do is. is Generate economic growth in, in but it's, it's not e it's not just hang on it's not just European it's, economies. it's not it's not just the fifty five million pounds a day, you know people people like Civitas and Taxpayers Alliance actually put the cost of EU regulation and directives on this country, common agricultural policy, common fisheries policy, and all the rest of it, at somewhere to the tune of around hundred billion pounds a year. So what we do is you know it's ap hold on it, it's absolute mm -hmm. madness. You know this, this is a costly organisation. Why can't we? Simply leave this organisation, trade freely with the rest of the globe, control our own borders, and actually let's make this country great once again. Not a problem. This country is still great, isn't it? You don't believe that it's not great. Well, you know, it is still great. Actually, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. It is still great. Um, well, I'll tell you what, we'll come to all these questions in a bit, because otherwise they won't be picked up on the microphone and it's going to get slightly chaotic. But Britain's still a great country. Britain is still a great country. Um, but to retain our greatness in this century, no, I think we need to control our own affairs again. Every um, politician has doubts. Do we ever sit there and think, oh, God, you know, if we did leave the euro, it could create absolute chaos. If we, if we left the European Union, it could create absolute chaos. No, I have absolutely no self-doubt about that at all. Otherwise, I wouldn't be in UK. But, every, but even then, there must be some part of you that thinks, I mean, but some of it's good. Do what know? do you like about Europe? I like the wine. <laughs> I like German cars, one of which I drive. Um, but equally, if the European Union went, those, thing, those things would still be there. I think Europe's great. I think it should be a collection of individual nations, you know, who have their separate identities, not this harmonised um, uh, edifice which is the European Union. Which, but they're trying to create the United States of Europe. That's the plan. You know, and we don't want a United States of Europe. Uh, we want a Europe of separate individual great nations. But don't you think that most people are somehow, somewhere in between the sort of Eurocrats at the centre of the European project? And I agree with you. I think there is a certain political um, momentum within the European project to generate something that, frankly, the, the people of Europe don't want. But equally, I think most people are somewhere in between that and where UKIP are. I think most people sort of think, actually, benefit, the benefits of membership outweigh some of the negatives of which you're right. Well, if that was the case, Nigel Farage wouldn't have won the debate with Nick Clegg, would he? Well, anyone would beat Nick Clegg. I mean, come on. If that was the case in this country, we wouldn't have won the European elections and the Lib Dems wouldn't be down to one MEP. Yeah, but Nick Clegg could have done those debates on his own and still lost. Who <laughs> <laughs> would have just gone, meh. <laughs> it, it was an easy fight, wasn't it? Did you help him prepare for those? No. So what, how did he... What, he just... These guys did it. You must have had some input. Um, 
bits and bobs, but not not a, not a great deal. My job was basically to stand around the green room afterwards. And, they were uh, there as well. Yeah, uh, with people like Danny Alexander, who were then saying, oh, well, I thought my man was fantastic tonight. You know, absolutely. I mean, at one point, I thought it was going to be like that scene on Aeroplane where Leslie Nielsen's nose is growing. <laughs> uh, I thought my man won that debate tonight. It was quite obvious uh, that Nigel had wiped the floor with him, particularly in the second one. So, of the people that you have to deal with in other parties, who, who do you get on with? Because it's always nice to hear about, you know, Labour people getting on with Tories. Are there other politicians in this country that, despite their political allegiance, you actually get on with quite Lo- well? Loads. Who? Um, out in the European Parliament, you know, there are, there are a number of Conservative MEPs who are like a number of Labour. Um, Chris Davis, who was an MEP from my region, from the Liberal Democrats. I mean, we, we couldn't be more uh, diametrically opposed, uh, but actually we got on uh, very well uh, away from politics. Uh, down here, I mean, when I've done question time and whatnot, I have to say, I haven't found anyone to be really objectionable. Except Diane Abbott. (laughs) 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 You know, um, but no, I've not not really found anyone objectionable, and some of them I've found to be actually downright nice indeed. You know, Joe Prescott, very, very nice man. I mean, I I enjoyed his company. Um, Going back to uh, the second one uh, that that, that I did, I thought that uh, Norman Baker was a nice bloke. Um, So, no, you know, I don't do tribalism. You know, I don't do I don't do that. You're not from UKIP. You're a Liberal Democrat or a Conservative or Labour. I'm not going to talk to you. I'll basically talk. A guy, Labour, um, London MEP Claude Morass, oh, yeah. one of the nicest men you can possibly meet. And does that, when you're campaigning against these people, um, do you find that difficult if you're campaigning against someone that you are on good personal terms with? Have you ever stopped to leaflet and said, "We can't say that about him. I actually know him. He's all right." Um, no, because our leaflets generally are, are, are we, we don't do personal attacks. Just uh, sort of like, general like ones. Like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, 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 we can, you can attack a party, but, you know, don't go down the line of attacking people personally. Did you worry, um, because some of the UK posters have been quite controversial, uh, the ones around the European elections last year, you know, the 230 million uh, people in Europe are out of work, guess whose job they're after with a big hand pointing out and the pictures of immigrants. Did you have concerns about the tone of some of those? Um... Well, I, I had a bit of concern about, uh, about the finger-pointing one. Um, I wasn't sure how that was going to, to resonate with people. The one I thought was absolute genius uh, was, the, was the Cliffs of Dover uh, with the escalator. Now, I think, you know, the, the imagery really touched uh, with voters. And I think that, that touched the chord with voters. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why we went on and won it. And one of the things we understood, one of the things we do better than any other political party is our use of billboards. We do it excellently. You know, we've done it now for the last three European elections, and I'm sure it's something we'll replicate in general. Do you ever worry, though, that sometimes, uh, and obviously you have to be hard-hitting, and all parties are, you know, all parties have been accused of controversial campaigning over the years. Do you worry sometimes, though, that the tone is sometimes attacking some of the most vulnerable people in society? Such as? Well, immigrants who come here for a better life. Well, no, no one's attacking the immigrants at all. What we're attacking is the po- know, on. You know, what we're attacking is the politicians who've allowed this mess to happen. You know, they, they, these are the people who've got to be called out. The Westminster politicians, but is it ever not the immigrants themselves? But is it ever part of your consideration? Uh, and I, you know, I, I just wonder if it's ever part of your consideration when you talk about these things to think actually, this may well appear like it's demonising people. No, look, I mean, I mean, I mean, no one goes down the road of blaming immigrants or demonising it. In fact, the only people we demonise 
are the British politicians who've sold this country down the river since the 1970s. That's the issue. It's not about immigrants. It's not about your Polish builder or, 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 or your Bulgarian... Um, I don't know, what's the cliche? Uh. <laughs> Bulgarian... Well, 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 you know, or, or your Bulgarian waitress or something Bulgarian like that. Bulgarian barman at Scotland. Well, barman, yeah. waitress, whatever you want to say. It's not about that. It's actually about the politicians who've Bulgarian let these countries barrister. out. And actually, have let... Well, many of them might be qualified barristers, but I'm sure they're not practising over here. Um, you know, it's, it, it, it's actually aimed at the British political class who've let this country, particularly working class people, they've let them down. Uh, okay, let's take some questions from the audience. So we've got a roving mic. Uh, so let's, I'll tell you what, we'll try and do it in order. So we'll start at this side, we'll start on the right to make you feel comfortable, Paul. Uh, and then on my right, your left. Um, we'll try and bring it over. Yes. They always so put you... me on the far right on questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we are, yes. Uh, if you can give your name as well and uh, your question, please. And if I can ask for succinct questions and succinct answers, we'll try and get around. The Northern Tory. A question in two parts. Firstly, where is UKIP on its current manifesto for the general election? And secondly, where do you stand specifically on grammar schools? Uh, firstly, firstly we're, we're, the manifesto is progressing quite well. If you look on our website today, mm -hmm. uh, we've launched 100 policies for the 100 days of the general election. Um, but th that will be... That, the manifesto itself will be um, beefed out and it will, it will be launched... British beefed out. British beefed out. <laughs> it will be horse metered out. <laughs> and, it will, <laughs> and, it, and it will be launched probably in due course as the election... Well, in due course as the election goes on. But equally, uh, in terms of grammar schools, frankly, uh, I'm passionate about grammar schools. Um, I think they are the driver of social mobility. And we've had... Uh, so, uh, uh, stagnation, uh, uh, social mobility has stagnated in this country since the 1970s as a result of grammar schools not being there. And I'm speaking to someone who went to the local bog standard comprehensive school, you know, and there were people in my class at school who should have been gone on to be teachers, accountants and whatnot and didn't. And you know why they didn't? Because they went to a bad school because their parents were poor. That isn't fair, it's not right. These kids should have gone to a grammar school and should have gone on and had a better life. Right. In terms of the manifesto, then, I mean, will there be any sort of traditional UKIP treats in there? Because uh, it's a real good laugh, usually. The uh, uh, what was it? Painting trains, traditional colours, uh, uniforms for cabbies, uh, tra traditional dress for the theatre. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember seeing Nigel interviewed on LBC last year, and he said, uh, "I wasn't leader at the time, uh, but I read it, and it's 250 pages of absolute drivel." Uh, Will you be saying the same about this manifesto in six months' time? It was actually over 400 pages. All right, so 150 was all right. Well, yeah. Uh, no, there'll be none of that nonsense in the manifesto this time. Because we want some more professional... Re and is there a proper policy-making process with policy... Oh, forms? yeah, no, there is a policy unit within UKIP made up of uh, some, of the, some absolutely fantastic people who are at the top of their game. And they're putting together the manifesto as we speak. OK, excellent. Any more questions in this section of the room? OK, at the back. Hello, my name's Rachel. My question for you is, what is UKIP's vision for the UK? <laughs> oh, God. Here we go. Uh, we want a UK which makes, it, makes its own laws um, with our democratically elected MPs making the laws, not faceless bureaucrats in Brussels. We want a free country. Uh, we want a more democratic country. We want a richer country. 
uh, and we want a country uh, that is based on common sense. Uh, better weather? <laughs> That'd be nice. That's, uh, that, that's in the manifesto. <laughs> Real chocolate in the cream eggs. Yeah. Real chocolate in the cream eggs. Oh, mate. How out of touch are you guys? <laughs> They're not putting real dairy milk chocolate in there anymore because of globalisation. They don't. How do they put chocolate in cream eggs? The, the chocolate, chocolate shell, the yeah. Kraft yeah. took over dairy milk and now they're using... Do, do you know the one thing chocolate? I would like? You know what I would like? Yeah. Okay. I, and I've always wanted this since I was a kid. Public I want wine. an Easter egg size cream egg. Yes! That's put what that in I your want. manifesto. Absolutely. That's in the manifesto. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, because it was always such a disappointment, wasn't it? Yeah, when you got for Easter, and I, I, cream egg Easter egg, and you thought, I wonder if that's going to be know. massive. And I want a spoon, and to be able to just eat the cream out, and then... Well, spoons are out there. You've got half your wish. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. Bloody hell. That's a great... Can I ask a secondary Can we have a supplementary for the lady at the back? Yeah, yeah. sorry. So I realised that was a badly phrased question. So... First three things you do to implement these fantastic ideas. Uh, we leave the EU, we control our own borders, uh, and we would. Uh, well, not the third one. Um, we, well, make we cream eggs that big. <laughs> actually, actually, we, we would make MPs more accountable to people. And we would, do, well, we would do this by a recall system, whereby if enough people signed a petition who were unhappy uh, with their MP in their constituency who wasn't doing a good job, it would trigger a by-election. That okay. would hand power back to people. But if not, how about a system where, say, every like four or five years, you get to choose who represents you, and then... <laughs> yeah, sort of... That could work, I think. Uh, OK, yes, the chap at the back. So, Christian, as a British industrialist, and this is, this is pure... <laughs> what a great introduction. I hope that says that on your business card. <laughs> Genuinely does. What was his name? Christian British Industrialist. Yeah, I think that's a double barrel surname. Uh, <laughs> Winston. So, just out of curiosity, sure. what engagement have you had with British industry in terms of you know, an exit from the euro? Because, certainly from my perspective, you know, regardless of politics, I haven't spoken to a sane person yet who thinks that it will be anything other than disaster. For British companies to exit. Well, 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 actually, actually, well, actually, if you listen to the CBI and big business, of course, uh, they want to stay in the European Union because it provides them with cheap labour in many cases. But if you speak, if you speak to people from the, SM, the FSB and small businesses who are fed up with regulation and directives and, and health and safety nonsense, then I'm afraid you'll find. <laughs> well, I'm protecting the staff. I mean, health is Apparently we're not allowed to set up stuff on fire anymore. I mean, it's just a real bind. I, I, well, well, do you know, I mean, a lot of this health and safety nonsense has cost a lot of small businesses a lot of money indeed. But isn't, isn't some of the anti-regulation actually just anti-working class? Because a lot of the directives, working hours, minimum wage, uh, pensions have actually been good for working. Well, the minimum wage isn't a directive, is it? Well, no, but it's, it was part of the social chapter. But, hold on, but, but equally, you know... What, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a story about what happened with the Labour Party. What happens is the Labour Party... The no. Labour Party... No, the Labour Party were anti -EC. But you have to, but you have to accept, on, don't you, that some European things have been good for British workers. Yeah, but the, but, the, but the things we could have implemented ourselves. We don't need the European Union to do it. And what happened with the Labour Party, it was anti-EC. In fact, when Tony Blair stood in 1983, we've got hold of one of his leaflets, whereby he's calling for withdrawal 
uh, from the EEC. Um, and what happened is that they realised after the 1987 general election that the only way they could implement many of the stuff that they want because they couldn't win a general election under Kinnock is actually to sign up uh, to the European uh, community as it was then. And they could get everything they wanted in terms of trade union rights and everything via the European Union and not through general elections in Britain. Now, look, look, look hold on, hold on. Let me the finish. general elections be in uh, opposition? A lot of things that the Pro European Union has done, so, well, some of the things the European Union has done has been very good for Britain. I'm not going to deny that. Equally, there are, there are things that we could have done ourselves and done away with the bad stuff. OK. Uh, yes, the chap over there by the post. Obviously, we've all agreed you're bungo. So you obviously care about animals. So why did UKIP, out of 647 people who voted against ivory trade, were six UKIP members of the European Parliament vote for? What have elephants ever done to UKIP? <laughs> <laughs> so six UKIP MEPs uh, failed to... Yeah, six of whom were UKIP MEPs. 647... Okay, so it's about you keeping the ivory trade and what yeah. have elephants ever done? <laughs> Do you remember? Do you remember it? Well, elephants don't well, forget. To, to, <laughs> 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 to, to be honest with you, you vote that much in the European Parliament. I mean, you're literally like this. All day. Don't do that salute, mate. Crikey. Well, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you generally don't realise, uh, remember everything. Um, I suspect it would have been because within that report would have been, or within that vote, the text that you were voting on would also have handed even more power to the European Commission. And that's the way they do it. And we will never vote to hand power to a European Commission that we don't recognise. There was only 14 people and six of them were from UK. Well, I've just told you why. Because why we will... So, yeah, why do six people in UKIP hate elephants? It's a perfectly we reasonable question. <laughs> we don't hate elephants, we hate the European Commission. <laughs> OK, I think, I think that question's been, been answered as well. Is there anyone on the balcony that would like to ask a question? If so, please shout. Is there a balcony up the there? I didn't oh, there's know. a balcony yeah. up there, Paul, yeah. Would anyone up there like to ask a question? Please yell. <laughs> that wasn't a yell, was it? Crikey. Sounds like someone's been goosed. Is anyone up there? Just hold on, I'm asking about the balcony. I'm asking about the balcony. No one on the balcony. OK, anyone else over here? Yes, the chap at the front down here. Um, the, like you. Hold on, just wait for the microphone if we can bring oh, the microphone in. Oh, is he? I don't think there was anyone up there. Sorry, mate. Yeah, just down here. And your name at the start of the question, please. Just hold on a sec. Here we go. Lovely. Uh, Matt. Um, is that on? No, it's not on. Matt, 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 Matt. Lovely, thank you. Matt, Paul, uh, you live in Spain. Like you, two million British people live in Europe. Uh, and just over two million Europeans live in Britain. So if we were to leave the EU, according to The Economist, how would that work? Uh, I, I, I think it's a bit of a, a false comparison to make considering that the continent of Europe is absolutely massive which contains 450 people, uh, 450 million people <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we, are, we are an island uh, of 60 million plus which is increasingly um, full, let's be frank. Um, what, would happen, what, what would happen if we left the European Union to the and don't forget, the, majo two, two million yeah, people. the majority actually are pensioners. Older, older pensioners who claim their pension from Britain, yeah? And rely on health benefits abroad. What and, and, and if they had to take out private health insurance in Spain, just as I believe 
that any migrants who come into Britain should take out private health insurance. Do you know what? I, I don't think that that would be a big price to pay. They'll be destitute. I'm sorry. They wouldn't, be de they, they wouldn't be destitute, would they? Because obviously if they're living in Spain and claiming their pension, they've done all right in life. But coming back, but coming back, hold on, hold on. Coming back to a housing market where the prices have gone through the roof over here, it might be very difficult for them to find somewhere to live. Well, actually, the prices have only really gone through the roof in London. You want to get out a little bit more? Oh, no. Once you get outside the M25... But they've still, gone, they've still gone high. Well, but do you know what? You say that. I mean, I'm, I'm from Liverpool and in the north of England. I don't really think that there is some sort of housing boom. I, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't see it at but all. But it would be higher than when they left. If these people no, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. The, you know, for a, no, it absolutely wouldn't. The house prices were higher in 2006 than they are now. My house, oh, no, that, my house, hold on, hold on. My, my house, my house that I bought, for example, in 2006 for a quarter of a million, is now only worth about 215,000 yeah, pounds. Yeah. So you know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Any more questions? Okay, hold on, hold on. Anyone else around here? Anyone else in this section like to ask a question? No, no, okay, there was the chat just at the back. Do you work for you, Kit, by the way? I do. Well, what's the point in asking him this? <laughs> Paul. This is a, it's called a dolly. Okay, well, let's, let's see what this highly independent member of the public. Well, what do you say about the fact Stephen Gerrard will never win the league? <laughs> nice to see the Scouse contingent there, boy. Um, Steve, look, I think Steven Gerrard is one of the top ten. Don't talk about it like a politician. Steven Gerrard is one of the top ten footballers who've played this planet since the turn of the century. And any comparisons that people have, oh yeah, any comparisons that people have with Paul Scholes or Frank Lampard is just nonsense. This boy, this boy could head up, can head a ball, can shoot. He's fast, he can tackle, you know, the lad has got absolutely everything and, um, and it is so sad that he's not going to go on and win the Premiership when he deserves it more than anyone else. Well, uh, speaking the, the of doesn't a Liverpool season um, ticket holder. Okay, just one more. Well, I can't, because you work for UKIP, so we can't have another UKIP question. Just the chap over there will be the last question of the night. Um. They talk about red and blue UKIP, the left wing, the right wing. Okay. Uh, I'm a vague fan of Douglas Carswell. <laughs> and a vague fan? Also, <laughs> I kind of like him. And, and also Patrick O'Flynn. <laughs> now. Settle down very well. Settle down, settle down. Yeah. However, there is an obsession in this country with taxing corporates like Starbucks. Amazon and others who choose to sell stuff here but apparently don't make profits. He suggested a tax based on revenue, which is a quasi-substitute for advanced corporation tax. Why was he shut down with that line of thinking, which I think is fairly imaginative and would actually generate more revenue tomorrow? Oh, good question. Um, I think when it comes to to uh, obviously you probably guess from my background when it comes to things like that uh, you know I I tend to be on the Patrick side of this kind of thing um, what Patrick did at the conference is that he the wag tax of course yeah which I which I'll be perfectly honest with you I had no problem with at all so the wag tax that applies to footballers wives or to dogs um, <laughs> 
same thing. Very good, very right. good. <laughs> I'm not that misogyny here. Um, uh, but, but you, you know, what, what Patrick did is he floated a load of ideas at conference, as we all did uh, when, when we gave our speeches. And again, you know, it goes back to having a democratic party gets debated. Some things go through, some things don't. Uh, and unfortunately for Patrick, that never made it. Um, but equally, just wait to see what comes out in the manifesto. I'm sure you'll be impressed. Oh, exclusive. Lovely. Thank you very much, Paul. Um, <laughs> right, well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that brings us to the end. Uh, as usual, been a phenomenal crowd. Before we go, please uh, give a big round of applause uh, and show your appreciation for everyone here at St James's and at Avalon who's made the show possible. Next month's show uh, is on Wednesday the 25th of February and my guest will be Shadow Foreign Secretary and the man running Labour's ele election campaign, Douglas Alexander. Uh, ooh, tickets are on sale now, so please do uh, buy tickets upstairs. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, as always, you've been a phenomenal crowd. Thank you very much for coming down. But for one last time, give it up for a wonderful sport. Mr Paul Nottel. Well, there you go, Paul Nussel there, Deputy Leader of UKIP. The next live show is on Wednesday the 25th of March this year. Uh, tickets are available through the website, stjamestheatre.co.uk. Um, depending on when you listen to this, uh, this show has been nominated for a Chortle Award. Chortle is a, an influential comedy website. It's the industry awards, really, for, for comedy. And uh, this show has been nominated in the internet category. Uh, so if you'd like to vote for it, I'd be very grateful. If you go to chortle.co.uk... The award should be clearly signposted on the website and then you'll scroll down and see it on there. And if you wouldn't mind asking your friends and families to do the same, I'd be very grateful. But thanks for downloading this. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you haven't been to one of the live shows, then consider coming along because the atmosphere down there on the night is, is wonderful and you get the opportunity to, to ask a question of a, of a major political figure. We've got some big guests set to be announced uh, in the next couple of weeks. Thanks very much for downloading it and we'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.